Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that, that phrase, it, we're going to break that into two parts, and over the tonight and and probably Sunday, we're going to look at uh, two different aspects of concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Tonight, we're going to look specifically at Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, but that, that's, that's a loaded statement. From the beginning of that verse to that comma is, is a loaded statement. And, and there's a lot to talk about there. So we'll, we'll break that up over two, two services and talk about it which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we sure love you and thank you for loving us, being so good to us and merciful and gracious and long-suffering. And uh, we sure thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that he's done for us. Lord, help us to live as though we are thankful. Help us to live as though we care and that his sacrifice moves us and stirs us. And uh, Lord, just causes our hearts to, to live for you, to love you, a desire for your word and to see souls saved and this church grow and lives, lives strengthened by your word. We just pray that you'd help us and that we'll sure give you all the honor and all the glory you so deserve. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so the gospel that Paul preaches, as we talked about, it was, um, he, he's, he's, he, he said just very briefly, I'm Paul, I'm a servant, I'm an apostle, I'm separated. Now, as soon as he tells you what he's separated unto, it's, it's a separation to the gospel of God. Then he immediately begins describing and explaining what that gospel is and gets pretty detailed, at, which is necessary because people today, as we talked about here, uh, good churches hardly even know what the gospel is. And if they do know what it is, 
um, they don't know enough about it to be able to defend it against the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon or whoever, whatever cult comes his way and says, oh, I'm a Christian also. <laughs> no, you're not. You don't even, you don't, we don't believe, we, we, we use a lot of the same words, but we do not believe the same thing. But a lot of Christians can't deal with that. They can't defend that. They can't demonstrate to these people what they, what they believe. And so in something as insignificant or seemingly insignificant as the introduction to the book of Romans, Paul goes into great detail about this gospel. And the first thing he tells us, and we've already talked about in two, two sermons now, is that it was promised afore by us prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the Old Testament told us this was coming. There is ample evidence all through the Word of God, all through the Old Testament, to tell us this is coming. All right, so then the next thing you want you to know is who it's concerning. It's the gospel of God, but it's about His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And again, that, that, that is significant, the way that that, is, uh, the way that that is worded is very important. You know, the, 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 the names and titles given to Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. It's not just an arbitrary word given to somebody. It's a, it's a pretty name, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is they're telling you something with that title, with that name. It's meant to, it's, it's, it's meant to be uh, revelatory. It's, it's supposed to reveal something to you and let you know something about Jesus Christ. And every aspect of, of everything we just read in that verse concerning his son, he's the son of God. All right, now, raise your hand if you're not a child of someone. <laughs> okay, so everybody here has a mother and a father. Now, I've never met my father. I still have one. Right, that, 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 you don't get to say, well, I don't have a father. Yes, you do. He just, you know, didn't think you were important enough to stick around. <laughs> that's, just, that's, that's modern culture. They, they, they're like wild dogs. They have puppies and they move on. <laughs> and, and so that's just how it is. But I have a father. You have a father. Now, the significance of this, capital S-O-N, he is the son of God. Right? This, is not just, this is not an insignificant thing. He is the son of God. This is who the gospel of God is concerning, his son. Now, if you, you talk to a Muslim, if you open the Quran, the opening pages of the Quran tell you God has no son. He does not begin. This is what they always ask. They say, and they, and they say it like, like, it's so damning to what you believe that, that it's going to make you just, just well, well, let me become a Muslim tomorrow. I mean, I, I mean, you've just destroyed my faith. They'll come to you and they'll ask you, did God have a wife? And, and the, the point is that God couldn't have a son unless he had a wife. As though God couldn't cause a woman to supernaturally conceive. That just means you have a really weak Useless God. <laughs> I mean, God just spoke a woman into existence. You don't think he can just say, hey, be pregnant, <laughs> and, and it's just going to happen? Like, what, I don't understand what you don't get about that. I don't understand why, why you thought asking if God had a wife. You're insinuating that God came down and had a physical relationship with a woman. And nobody here ever said that. That is not part of the process here. All right, so... Now, after what Hamas did in Israel, I have a better understanding of why that is. I don't understand what defending, what aspect of defending your God 
means that it is acceptable to go in and rape women and children. How, how is that? You explain to me how that helps, you know, defend your holy and righteous God. You, you, you're a dirt bag. You're a piece of trash. It's, it's you know, just, I, I, you know, anyways, that's, that's another topic for another day. But, but God didn't come down and have a physical relationship with a woman. And why you got in your head that God caused a woman to become, a virgin to become pregnant, that was the entire point. She's a virgin. <laughs> what about that did you miss? Right? And so you want to know, well, God doesn't have a wife. How could he have a son? Well, I mean... It's not hard for God. I mean, it, it's, it might be hard for your little brain to conceive of what he did. But, I, but, I, but I, you know, we, that, that's, again, that's beside the point. So then it moves on to his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we've, at this point, we've talked about it several times already. Jesus, that's the name of the body that he, that he, that he took on when he came into the world. They, they said, when you're going to have this child, you're, you, you know, a virgin is conceived. She's going to have this child. She's going to give birth to this holy thing. Jesus, the, the word, the eternal God is going to move into it, and you're going to call him Jesus. That's the name of his humanity. When he was in that body of flesh, he was a man. He was subject to, he, he was tempted in all points like as we are. I mean, he, he was in a body of flesh going through the things that we have to go through on a daily basis. Uh, he just did it a lot better <laughs> without as many problems. <laughs> and, and so that, that's the name of his humanity. But then it goes on to say Jesus Christ. And Christ is a, brings a, a direct connection to his being the Messiah and being the king of Israel. Now, and, and I, we'll, we'll get to this in time. I'll, I'll just say it now. I hope it doesn't cause more confusion than not. But Jesus Christ is technically not our king. All right? He's the king of Israel. He's the king of the Jews. Now, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. He's our Lord. He's our God. He's our Savior. That doesn't reduce him in any way in, in, in his authority or his, his leverage over us. It's not like if, he, if we don't call him king that it, you know, we, we reduce him in some way. That's not the case. All right, so that, that from a very technical perspective, Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. That's what Matthew, the book of Matthew, that's how it presents him. That's what it's talking about. And when it calls him the Christ, so, so first let's, let's look at this. Let's look at a couple things real fast. Look at 1 John chapter 5, and let's look at the Trinity. This verse, 1 John chapter 5, is the greatest verse in all the Bible. It's the most clear verse in all the Bible on the Trinity. All right, now, what we call a Trinity. Of course, we know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, and some people, you know, they, they try to make a big deal about that. It's a fitting word. You know what it means. It means that there are three persons who make the one true and living God, all right? It's, 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 not, it's not just an arbitrary term. It, it fits the mold. It fits the bill. So it's, it's a useful term to talk about the three who are the one true and living God. Now, here's what's so significant about the verse we're about to read. It is the most clear verse in all the Bible on the Trinity. You name another single verse in the Bible that will tell you definitively, without question, that the three persons of the Godhead are one true and living God. 
There's not one. There are a couple of verses that will hint to it, that will give you the idea, but this verse ties it all together. Now, do you know what the modern Bibles do with this verse? They delete it. They delete verse 7, and then they take verse 8 and split it into two verses and make part, the first part of verse 8, verse 7, and the second part of verse 8, verse 8. <laughs> now, why would they do that? Like what, what, what about this? Right now, now, what they're going to say is, well, you know, there's some question in the originals about whether this should be there or not. And by originals, what they mean is, is, is a group of texts that come out of Alexandria, Egypt, which are corrupt texts. And, of course, it's deleted out of that. You had a bunch of, you had, you had the precursors to Roman Catholicism down in Alexandria, Egypt, editing the text. <laughs> I don't like that. that. That would ruin my religion if we left that there. So let's de- delete that and throw that out. And, oh, if we leave that there, then how are we going to do, you know, all the things that we do that, that, that are so corrupt? So we have to get rid of that also. And so, so they, they, they literally, and if you read the writings of Jerome and men like him, they openly say, we edited this. They, they, they changed it in accord with their religious preconceptions. All right. And so, so. We know the text was edited. It shouldn't be a controversial thing, but the, the text that came out of Antioch were not edited. They remained the same. Nothing about them changed. Your King James Bible came from Antioch and those texts, the Mosaic text, and what became, came to be known as the Textus Receptus. And then everything else comes out of Alexandria, Egypt. Do you know what the Bible says about Egypt? It calls it the house of bondage. <laughs> Why would you want a Bible that comes from the house of bondage? All right, so, I mean, but that's up to you if you want that. Now, first, or, uh, yeah, first John chapter 5, look at verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Now, this is, this is the significant aspect. And these three are one. Now, if you talk to, you know, a, a Jehovah's Witness or... Mormons and different, different cults, they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe Jesus is God. Uh, Mormons believe he is a God, and you can become a God. You just, you know, and again, this is how you know it was made by men, because in Islam, you, if you die a certain way, you go to paradise and get 72 virgins. Well, in, in Mormonism, you get to become a God you get to have a bunch of wives and populate your own planet. <laughs> Who thought this up? <laughs> so a bunch of men sitting around saying, you know how we could get women to do whatever we want? <laughs> uh, so uh, anyways, uh, so, so they, they, they will say to you, well, when it says these three are one, what they mean is, or what it means is that the three of them agree. Well, the, that, poses, that brings up a huge problem in the next verse. Look at verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. There's a huge difference between being one and agreeing in one. They are not the same thing. All right, so you're being very disingenuous. And, and so then what they do is just look in their Bible, and this verse is not there, so they don't have to deal with it. Like, well, uh, well, I'll look in my Bible. You look at, one time I was witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness, and I kept sending them all these verses, and it, it dawned on me. We were talking over text, and it dawned on me after like three days of sending text back and forth. 
I wasn't sending the verse. I was sending the reference. And I was like, oh, I bet he's looking them up in his Bible, which is a Jehovah's Witness Bible, which is just like the NIV, and it's just like the Roman Catholic Bible, and it's just like the NASB and all these other corrupt Bibles. It's really no different. It's, it's almost exactly the same. So I was like, great. You know, I'm trying to witness to him. And, and, and over time, you know, in, 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 in you know, Jehovah's Witness, they, they believe that only Jehovah is God. Jesus can't be God. No, you know, the Holy Spirit can't be God. Only Jehovah is God. Well, it's, it's interesting. In Zechariah, it says that Jehovah, it, it, it used to say in their Bible, but they changed it in the past, I don't know, five years. It says Jehovah was pierced. When was Jehovah pierced? <laughs> And they would just look at you like, uh, I got to call the Watchtower Society and find out what's going on here. I need you to tell me when Jehovah got pierced. Who pierced Jehovah? You believe he's Almighty God. Who, who's going to take Almighty God and pierce him? And, and, of course, they had no answer for that, so they just changed the Bible, and, and it doesn't say that anymore. So, so we have, we, we believe in a trinity. Now, this is the, the best I can do to explain it to you. There are three persons, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, the Word being Jesus Christ. Those three, it, you requ- it requires all three to make the one true and living God. There's one God, but in order to have that, that complete one God, you have to have all three persons. Does that make sense? Of course it doesn't make sense. <laughs> It's, 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 compl- it's unbelievably complex. Now, there, there are some examples that exist in the world. You have, at least in English, you have time. Well, with time, you have past, present, and future. Well, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a past without a present and a present without a future. I mean, even if you're dead, you're, you still have a future, just not, not here on earth. All right, so, so you, you can't have one without the other but all three are just time. Now in Luganda, <laughs> you have past, far past, present, future, far future, and there are even other aspects to it than that. It's, it's yeah, just thank God you have to struggle with English, with read and read. <laughs> well, did you read it or have you read it? <laughs> and, and so, so... We, we believe in a trinity. Now, within that trinity is the Word. The Word is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and each aspect of His name is directly related, one, to His humanity. First of all, the Son. He's the Son of God. Jesus, His humanity. Christ is directly related to Messiah. Look at John 7, John chapter 7, and let's look at, at Christ for a moment and just get a good idea of what it means. Make sure we understand that. Uh, John uh, 7 verses 40 and 42, 40 through 42. Verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is a prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? <laughs> yeah. Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and, and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Now, what's so significant about that? with relationship to Romans 1, verse 3. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who came of the seed of David. Right? So it ties it all together. In fact, his throne rights are traced back through David. 
David was king of Israel. Jesus will be king of Israel. He is the king of the Jews. They just reject him at the moment. Uh, one day all that will change. Look at John 4. This is significant. John 4. We looked at this in Sunday school, I think, a couple weeks back. John 4, verses 25 through 26. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. Now, who is Messiah? It's the Messiah, right? All right, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. So what does Christ mean in the New Testament? Messiah. It ties those two together. So the Old Testament Testament Messiah is the New Testament Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the King of the Jews. And his lineage, his bloodline can be traced right back to King David. Through, through two sons, by the way, Solomon and Nathan. Right? So, so through, through whichever direction you want to go. You want to go through Joseph, it goes through Solomon. You want to go through Mary, it goes through Nathan. Uh, back, back to King David. And so, so it goes either way. Jesus is the Son of God. He is a man. He is the man Christ Jesus. He is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he is Lord. And when you get to the word Lord, it, it's directly related to his being God. His divinity. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we believe in. We don't believe in a Jesus who's not God. We don't believe in a Jesus who wasn't virgin born. We don't believe in a Jesus who was not a man. He is both God. He is man. He is the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And that's the funny thing about Islam. They'll tell you, well, we believe Isa is is the Christ. Well, that means he's the king of the Jews. (laughs) You believe in the king of the Jews? Well, no, we don't believe that. Like, of course, you, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just talking out of the side of your head. And so, um, that, it, the, so, so, so many religions are so full of holes, it's ridiculous. Um, now, tonight, we're going to demonstrate an important link between this phrase, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and eternal life. In the book of Romans, there's a direct connection between this phrase... Jesus Christ, our Lord. That phrase is directly related to eternal life. And so we're going to look at that very briefly and demonstrate that in the Word of God. When we preached, when we preached on the gospel, we noted the fact that without it, um, without, without Jesus Christ, God has no power. Without the gospel, God has no power to provide you salvation. That's Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. So without the gospel of Christ, you have no access to the power. Right? That, that literally, people say, well, God can do anything. He can't save you without the gospel. The only way to have your soul saved is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that gospel is, you're in serious trouble. All right, now I'm not, again, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying that you should be concerned. Because if the gospel, the gospel is the power unto salvation, how can you get access to that power without the gospel? It's just that you're going to have to help me understand how that's possible. And if you can't help me understand how that's possible, you might want to, you know, get access to the power and, and, and let me help you with that. So. Uh, This phrase, Jesus Christ our Lord, is repeated multiple times in the book of Romans, and it is always used to provide a striking contrast between death and life every time. It's pretty pretty incredible. Uh, The life spoken of is eternal and is only provided through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, um, 
some place a major emphasis on lordship, the lordship of Christ. It's called, often called, though they, they would say that they don't call it this, but it's often called lordship salvation. And, and, and I have some notes on it here, but it, this, this is the basics of it. They teach that if, this is one of their famous sayings, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he ain't Lord at all. Now that sounds great, except that you sin about 10,000 times a day. Who was Lord when you did that? All right, it, it's, it's what, every time you, you stumble or make a mistake, who was Lord? All right, so this, this is the reality. Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you submit to that or not, it doesn't change the fact he is Lord. All right, now you trust in Jesus Christ, you get saved, and, and, and the Bible pictures it so beautifully, you're a newborn babe. Well, my son does stupid stuff all day long. <laughs> Was he not born? Am I not his father? Why didn't he listen? Well, he's a year and a half old. He doesn't know what, he didn't know what listening even means. All right, so you, you're, 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 and he's looking at me right now like daddy's talking about me. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> that devilish grin. See, people think it's cute. He's a little devil sometimes. All right, so, so th- now this, this, is the, this is the point. Jesus is Lord. You should submit to him as such. But you're going to struggle to do that until you, until you learn and until you grow. And as, 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 as time moves on, you do it better and you do it more and you become more consistent. Hopefully, assuming you're in a good church and you're learning and you're growing and you, and you care to submit to the, to the Savior who shed his blood for you. Uh, some people say, thank you for salvation. <laughs> See ya. I'm going back to, to, I'm going to hang out with Demas. All right. So, you know, they just, they just run off and it's, and it's over with. So now we, 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 the problem with Lord, the ultimate problem with Lordship salvation is it in the end teaches a form of works based religion. Because in order to be saved, in order to prove you're saved, you have to do good works. You have to demonstrate that you're saved. But also those good works don't mean that you're saved. They say, well, which one is it? Either I'm doing good stuff and enough good stuff to prove that I think Jesus is Lord and I'm saved, or I'm not. And if you ask them that, they'll say, yes. Say, well, I need some help here. <laughs> and and, and I, I, I have been to a church where this is what's taught, and half the congregation has five or six professions of faith. Because today, I, I had a great day, it must mean I'm saved. Uh, but tomorrow, I'm not going to do so well. So I'm questioning my salvation. And, and, and so that that means is that in my mind, my salvation is based in some part on my works. If I'm doing well, it must mean I'm saved. If I'm not doing well, it must mean I'm not saved. That's not how it works. Did you trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Then your sins are forgiven and your soul is saved. Now learn to act like it. And some days, some days my son does great. Some days he only gets, you know, a couple of spankings. <laughs> and some days he gets a whole lot more. <laughs> All right, so, so he's still my son. Nothing has changed. He has to learn what the boundaries are. He has to grow. He has to, he has to develop that mindset. So when you're a newborn babe in Christ... Right? Do you know how to act? 
Do you know what God expects of you? No. you got to learn. you got to grow. God's going to have to spank you every now and then and, and redirect you every now and then and correct you every now and then. But, but as, if, you're, if you're sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and you study your Bible and read your Bible and spend time in the Word of God, you're going to end up moving in the right direction. But it has no bearing on your salvation. All right, now, but let, let, me, let me show you this. Let's, let's look at this real quick. I don't want to keep you too late on a Wednesday night. Um, some of you have lives and would like to get back to it and don't want to hear me talking all night. Look at, look at, go back to Romans 1. Let me show you this here real fast, and then we'll look at a couple of passages real quick. And, and, and you'll see it. it it's not hard to, to see this. It's, the connection is, is, uh, is, is so clear, and, and it's incredible and hopefully helpful. Romans 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now watch this. Which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Okay? You come to, if you come to the Jesus of the Bible, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord you're going to have access to the resurrection. You're going to be brought from death to life, both spiritually and one day physically. That'll be a a day. (laughs) Uh, All the trouble you're having in your body right now, that's going to be a wonderful day when the Lord sets all that, turns all that around. Romans 5, let's look at Romans 5 real fast. And we'll read verses 17 through 21. Romans 5, 17 through 21. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, all right, so you see man's part, death. That, that's what people ask, you know, why is there so much death in the world? Because you're here. Because <laughs> man is here. All right, well, I just don't understand why there's so many people dying. Well, only by pride cometh contention. There's, there's no other, it's, it's you, it's me, it's the government, it's, it's man. From the top to the bottom, that's where it comes from, all right? All right, so so that, that's, that's where it all happens. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference there? By man came death, death reigned. Jesus Christ overtook that dominion and now offers you life. And so... You can break free from the dominion of death, being reigned over by death, and you can move over to, to the life category through Jesus Christ. But, but, it, but it continues. Look at, look at verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Okay, so who does that exclude? <laughs> Nobody. Everybody's condemned. That's, you know, that's what I, when I, in Florida, you talk to a lot of homosexuals, and I, I often joke that, 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 you know, they start off yelling and screaming and cussing at us, and then before it's over with, we can get them to come talk to us, and we'll talk to them, and, and they find out, they leave with a newfound respect, because I help them understand, God doesn't just hate homosexuals, He hates everybody. You're all sinners. I don't know how you thought you were the only ones. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody's condemned. You singled out your particular sin. And, I mean, it's, it is particularly grievous, but, you know, you singled it out, not me. Yeah. Right? God, God doesn't say, well, I mean, we'll probably get, we'll let the fornicator slide. But that homosexual, 
Now that's not going to make, that's not going to cut it. No, that, that's not how this works. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's it. All right, so if you fail to have the Savior, the gospel, that will give you power to, the, the power to salvation, you're going to hell. If you're just a, a little, if you tell a little white lie or, or if you're a homosexual, you're going to hell. If you offend in one point, <laughs> offend it in all. Okay, so I don't, you just, well, I only told some white, little white lies. You better get saved. You better trust in Jesus. You need a savior. You're in trouble. Well, I mean, just for a little white lie? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. You, you think it's minor. God doesn't. God thought because of your little white lie, my son's going to die on the cross. So you think I'm going to let you walk into heaven without trusting in my son? You better get your head reoriented and, and, and thinking straight. You're going to be in serious trouble on judgment day. Even so, by the, righteous, by, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see that connection. All right? Man, death. You're going to hell. You're condemned. You're not just going to die physically and go sit in darkness somewhere. You're going to lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. The way to escape that is to trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you say, well, I just want to trust in Jesus. He was just a, a kind man. That's the wrong Jesus. It has to be Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the Jesus you need. That's the one that can save you. Right, if you just make up some Jesus, well, one time I was talking to this girl and she said, well, my Jesus, oh, you can keep your Jesus. Like just, it's just a little ball bouncing around in your imagination. It's not real. And it can't help anybody. And you're going to my Jesus your way straight to hell. And so we need Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the one we need. That's the one that we're talking about. Look at Romans 6. Uh, Romans 6, and we'll read verses 8 through 14. Verse 8. Verse, yeah, verse 8, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. That's the argument in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if Christ be not risen, you are yet in your sins. Uh, you have no hope. But Christ died and rose from the dead, and now we can, be, we can now die to self and rise from the dead, and we can, we can be right there with the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to verse 8. Um, uh, we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Okay, so what does that mean for someone who believes they can lose their salvation and get it back again? This is not a... It's not a vending machine. You just go get some more salvation when you run out. Christ, Hebrews literally insinuates that Christ would have to die again for you to be saved again. Okay, so that, that's, it's, it's not how this works. He died once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, back to this idea of lordship salvation. If in order to save, 
to be saved or prove you're saved or demonstrate you're saved, Lord, Jesus Christ has to be Lord of every area of your life. Why do the next verses exist? Look at the next verse, verse 12. Let not sin, therefore. Who's he talking to? <laughs> saved people. All right, what's the word therefore? Therefore, it's because of all of this, you're dead with Christ, you're risen with Christ, you're going to be with Christ, you have life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, now that all that is true, now that you understand that, stop sinning. <laughs> stop, stop being a child of God living like the devil. All right, let, the, let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield ye your members. Who's doing the yielding? Or who's not doing the yielding? We are. Why does this exist if you get saved, make Christ Lord, and never sin again? <laughs> This is the Apostle Paul. He goes on in chapters 7 and 8 to say, yeah, I'm a wretched man. The greatest Christian to ever live, the man who literally boasts, saying, you think you're something in the flesh? Well, let me tell you about me. And it was the Holy Spirit that inspired him to say it. I am the greatest Hebrew to ever live, and I have not attained. I need Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for me and you? I don't compare to the Apostle Paul. Anybody here want to raise their hand and say, I'm as great as the Apostle Paul? No? Okay. We need Jesus Christ. Right? We need the Word of God, and we need, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and to help us remove the filth from our minds, our hearts, our hands, our lives, our relationships. And if, you don't, if you're not actively seeking those areas of your life out and removing them, you're setting yourself up for a fall. Not a loss of salvation. You're setting yourself up for trouble. Right? And, and we don't want trouble. We like, we like to be happy and healthy and smiley and all those good things. Uh, look at verses 18 through 23. Verse 18. Being then made free from sin. Anybody here been made free from sin? Okay. Well, praise the Lord. I'm the only one. Being made free from sin... <laughs> Ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness. Now, he just said you're, I'm talking to people who have been made free from sin. And you're yielding your members to uncleanness. Don't do that. <laughs> that that's ultimately what, what he, that's the simple version. All right, Paul wrote the, 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 the great philosophical, you know, inspiring version. The simple version is, stop. <laughs> Don't do that. All right, but I, I speak after the manner of men because the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. He said it just kept building. You, you gave in to one sin and then you just, well, I did that one. I might as well just go an inch further. Just an inch. That's all. Yeah, but you, know, you start adding inches, you get to feet, and then you end up five miles down the road wondering how you got there. Don't, don't, don't toy with it. Even so now, yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. You see how that works? If you're going to give in to this sin, well, then I can just go a little bit further, and then a little bit further. But if you'll yield yourself to righteousness unto holiness, well, then you're going to move a step closer to holiness. 
and then you're going to move another step closer to holiness. Then you're going to move another step closer to holiness. And next thing you know, you're, you're, you've got a golden halo and your head glows and, and, and you've got Roman Catholics painting pictures about you. All right? So it, you, you, want to, you want to create a situation in your life where you're moving closer and closer and closer to holiness, step by step. All right, and, and that's, that, I mean, that's the instruction here. All right, but then it continues, verse 21, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now, everybody knows the next verse. For the wages of sin, now you see the word for, all right, now, one of the definitions of the word for is because of. So now, because of what we just read, you've been made free from sin. I, I, I assume you want to move in the direction of holiness, not unrighteousness. All right, now, because of all that, back, back, back to the last verse, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see that connection between eternal life and death. The way to get set free from that is through Jesus Christ. Now, now here, based on this conversation that he's having in this chapter, he's talking about, you know, this is the practical aspect of the book of Romans. When you get to 6, 7, and 8, it's your, it's your daily living, the battle, the struggle. You, once you trust in Jesus Christ, uh, uh, my, my pastor used to joke that, that you become certified bipolar. Now you have an excuse for it because <laughs> you, you have the old man who's trying to drag you out the door and you have the new man who's trying to get you to submit to holiness. Right. And, and, and this battle ensues and God is telling you, make no provision for the flesh. Don't feed that old man. You starve him out. Don't, don't set your eyes on things that would please him. Don't give him the things that he wants because it's just going to embolden the old man in you and, and then you know, you're going to come in here asking for advice on how to get out of a mess that you got yourself in that you shouldn't have been in. But if you, give, you, you submit yourself to holiness, submit yourself to righteousness as a way of living daily, you're going to end up in the right place. Now, now with that in mind, look, look at how this verse is worded. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. Where do you get a wage from? That means you earned it. That means that throughout our lives, we actively earned death and condemnation from God. Well, praise the Lord. But, but look at the other half of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, what does that mean for the Lordship salvation mentality? It's not, it's not based on what you've done. It's a gift from God. Now, does that, again, this is, and it, this is most people's problem with this. They say, well, then that means I can just do whatever I want. And we, we talked about it before already. You do. <laughs> you do whatever you want. The question always is, the question I always have is, what do you want? I want to go to church. I want to sing hymns. I can't even sing. I still want to sing hymns. I, 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 I want to hear other people sing, especially when I, when I pick a song, you know, one out of the four that everybody knows. <laughs> it's, a, it's a blessing to hear all these voices lifted up together singing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to hear preaching. Uh, we, my wife and I, we've been in Africa for three years, and, and 
you know, that's, we've been in Africa for three years, so just put it that way. We're excited to be back here because we have friends who have Bible conferences and preaching and all sorts of things all over the country. And if we get a chance to go in here preaching, we're going to go. We want to be there. We want to hear it. We, I want, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, does that mean that I do everything right? God, Jesus is Lord of all, so I do everything perfectly. Just don't ask my wife. No, it doesn't. It means I do lots of stupid things I should not do on a regular basis, but I want them gone. And, and that is a major difference between a saved person and a lost person. What saved person wants alcohol out of their life? I, w- I was talking to people in town the other day. I had to go get insurance, and, and I was talking to a guy. I won't say who he was just because he may not want me to. And uh, it was a really nice guy. Really enjoyed talking to him. We talked for like an hour and a half. I had things to do, but he wanted to talk. <laughs> and he was telling me about the, the liquor situation in Loosedale, and he said that they recently passed the beer law, so you can now buy beer and I think wine in Loosedale, but you still can't buy liquor. And he was like, but, you know, I think in five years we can pass it. And I said, well, I hope you don't. <laughs> now, I, I really didn't want to say that. It just it came out because he doesn't understand that. He doesn't know where I'm coming from. It, that, that conversation is better had, you know, in a less making that statement could be less painful. Let's put it that way. Just, I, just when I throw out a sharp statement like that in his head, he's like, wow, what a jerk. <laughs> Because in their mind, they think, how will our restaurant survive if we don't have alcohol? And I think your restaurants are doing great, and you have families coming to your restaurants. When you bring in liquor, you're going to change the character of the people who come to your town. And that's not, it's not, they think we can bring in all this revenue if we bring in the alcohol. Yeah, you're also going to bring in wives being beaten and drunkards driving home and killing families on the interstate and all sorts of horrendous things that come along with it. You don't get to just say, we'll just rake in the money and not suffer the consequences. It might be your wife that gets taken out on the highway by a drunk man that you gave, you sold the alcohol to. Right? And so you just, do we do everything perfectly? No. We don't. Does that have any bearing on your salvation? No, it doesn't. Does that excuse your responsibility to live righteously and holy in Christ Jesus? No, it doesn't. And when someone says, well, then I can do whatever I want, what that tells me is I need to stay away from you. You were hoping somebody would, would, give, would say something to you that permits you to go and live in your mind any way you want, which is not good. It means you're dangerous, and I don't like dangerous people. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.